So, yes, as Sean said, I'm Ryan Potter, um, and uh, I sell real estate with Sean. And uh, today I actually get to tell you about um, something that's more important to me, and that is um, the impact that Christ had on my life, but also what he's doing uh, through our church and an opportunity for our church as we move forward. So I wanted to start out by showing you guys a, a quick video of um, just the guys that are actually down there with their boots on the ground. And these are our guys right here. Hi guys, this is the community of the Shirt Planting Rio Arriba, Vallejuelo. This is the pastor Saulo Richard. Richard is the, the leadership of the of the Shirt Planting. And I'm here this year is my I'm I'm responsible to supervise this Shirt Planting. Pray for me. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so they could maybe use a, a better video, guys, to uh, maybe help out there. I'm just joking. Um, but I want to put some things up here for you guys just to kind of give you a rundown. Um, so in that, that video there, we had Noki, who is the guy that we kind of partner with. You've heard me talk about, if you were here uh, prior, Miguel. And uh, Noki works with Miguel in his ministry. And then Richard and Pastor Solo were in the video Richard was in the middle, and then Salo was to the right. Um, Salo doesn't smile very much. He always looks like this mean grit kind of guy. Um, but he is uh, a really nice guy, compassionate guy, grew up in that area that we're going to be uh, partnering with. And so the objective um, is partnering together to establish a new self-sustaining house church equipped to reach its own and other surrounding communities with the gospel of Christ in a three- to five-year period. So we have actually committed to a five-year commitment with them um, down in a place called Rio Riba uh, for the next five years. And so that will hopefully kind of give you guys an update as far as where are we at in this process because we know that we were thinking about it and we were trying to do that. And now we have signed the commitment. Um, we have actually sent them some of the funds already for that commitment. And so uh, we're really excited. And so... I felt like it would be a great opportunity as we go through and as we've been going through the book of Mark, um, it'll fit right in with kind of where we're at in missions and moving forward. And so um, if we want to go to the next slide there, um, so here's what's happening. So we've started a church service there at a lady's house. Um, so they have met a lady there. She's ran the church service. And so they've got like a speaker that usually uh, speaks just out there and people set up chairs. So they come and sit on the ground and they listen. Um, they've started to focus on developing a youth ministry because there's a lot of kids in the area. And so um, basically how this works. So if, if you guys are unfamiliar with this, we've partnered with Miguel and his ministry. And then they go into these communities in the DR and they try to find a pastor if there's one there. If there's not, um, they try to bring another pastor that would go and plant there, and then they start working in the community as far as first starting to walk through kind of those communities and praying for those communities and opportunities to share the gospel um, and to build those long-term relationships with them. And then once they get some of these things like a church and things set up, then that allows the ministry to start taking place. This one's been going pretty quickly. Um, so we've been able to set up church there at a lady's house 
They've started developing those relationships with those kids already. Um, they've been doing house-to-house -house visits, so it's, it's pretty common in the DR. Um, if you ever get the opportunity to go with us, um, it's actually a pretty fun experience where here, if you're walking through your neighborhood and you're saying hi to someone, you may get a wave back. Um, in the DR, if they see, especially if they see a white person, they are like, hey, come over here, come over here, we want to talk to you. And so it literally opens up the door to start talking about life with them, and they invite you in, they bring you coffee, sometimes snacks, all this fun stuff. But that is actually taking place already, and then um, they're looking to plan a weekend getaway outreach for the youth in the community already as far as um, a way to start discipling these kids. And uh, so I don't know what exactly that outreach looks like. I know they're just in the process of, of trying to get that going. Um, but it sounds like there's a lot of cool things happening um, there already. And so we wanted to bring that update for you guys because I know it's, it's been a while since you've maybe heard of what's happening there um, with the DR. And now hopefully I can start getting into how this may all relate to all of us. Um, and so I want to to open up um, by sharing a story uh, with you guys. And um, it kind of took place about six, seven years ago now. Um, but I, was, I got this frantic phone call from my mom. And, um, and she's like, you need to get here quickly. And thankfully, I was, I was about 10 minutes away. And so I, I drove over there. And my mom's frantically crying on the couch. And uh, I'm like, right away, immediately, where's my dad? Right? And she just pointed. Like, he's over there. And so in my mind, I'm like, I'm thinking as I'm driving and as I'm going there, I'm like, did my dad have a heart attack? Like, is dad hurt? Like, what's going on? But I knew something was happening. And, uh, and as I came around the corner, my dad's in the bathroom and there's just blood everywhere. And, um, and I soon realized that my dad doesn't have much life left. Um, what had happened is he had a, a Barisee or a... Uh, basically a vessel in his esophagus ru rupture, and so he was bleeding out. And, um, and so I got in there, and I, I helped him, and we made our way over to the stairwell, and, um, and I got this moment with my dad of just having my arm, you know, around his shoulder and talking with him and trying to, to keep him comfortable. And, um, and in that moment, I realized uh, just maybe 20 seconds after of sitting down, it's... It, it's never happened to me before where I feel like, or I've been able to see or witness, but um, the only way I can describe it is his soul left his body, and my dad hunched over, and I knew in that moment, I'm like, my dad is gone. Like, there's nothing these paramedics or anybody's going to be able to do once they get here. Um, and shortly after, the paramedics show up, and they're, they're bringing him out on a stretcher. And I remember still sitting there on the steps. And I don't even think I've made my way over to, like, my mom yet. And I remember in that moment thinking to myself, like, so this is it. Like, this is what life is. is the, the night before, my kids are, are playing with Grandpa in the living room. And then the next day, he's gone. Just like that. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, uh, like, what, what's next? Um, and, and quickly, as I started going through some of these things, it could probably translate into uh, what's our purpose here on earth or what is our mission in life? And I, I've been dwelling on that for so long. Um, 
and each and every day as, I, as the memories flood my, my brain and come back to me, and I'm constantly thinking about that question, like, what is, what is my purpose? What is my mission here? What is our mission, right? Um, and so up to that, up to that point, like, I'd, I'd lost one of my best friends <clears throat> in a, a car accident in high school. Uh, I'd lost another friend who was uh, in a battle with cancer uh, shortly after I got married with Vanessa. And, um, you know, she was like a sister to me where it's like I grew up with this little girl and then she's 15 years old and she dies from cancer. And, you know, like you go through these experiences and I think every single time that somebody close to you dies, you start thinking to yourself like, well, what, what is my purpose here on this earth? Um, and uh, <laughs> I wrote down in here like, you know, especially in the last like two years, I can agree with most people that life sucks, right? Like, life sucks. It's not always fair. Um, but I, I'll say life sucks if, if I can also say that um, that is until Jesus comes into your life, right? Like, life is difficult, life is challenging, but when Jesus comes into your life, life can still suck, but life changes, right? Like, perspective on life changes. The way you treat people changes. The way you think changes. The way you dream changes. Why? Because it's no longer about you. Right? It becomes about the mission. And so I, I wanted to kind of ask you guys, and, and as we, we go through the morning, like, what is the mission? I'm glad you guys asked. <laughs> um, the mission is telling the world about how life used to suck, but it's different now because Jesus is in your life. You want to know why I love my wife unconditionally? It's because Jesus came into my life, and I can do that. You want to know why I can forgive someone that stabs me in the back? It's because Jesus came into my life and I can forgive them. You wonder why we help Afghan families right now in the city of Omaha try to find a house that have just recently moved here. It's because Jesus has changed our lives. It's not because of anything that I do or we do, but it's because of something that has taken place in our lives. People go on a mission to make an impact and change the world. Right? There's, a, there's a favorite quote of mine that's actually in our office building uh, that they painted on the walls, and it says this. It says, the ones who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones that do. Anybody know who said that? Steve Jobs. He was the, the CEO of Apple before he, he passed away. But he said, the ones who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Um, I think we know one of those people. Right? His name is Jesus. He was crazy enough to think that he could come in and change the world, and he did. I think Jesus made it pretty clear in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. He says, go and do what? Make disciples of all nations, right? How? Baptizing them and teaching them to observe what is written. Jesus also added in John 13, 35, that the world will know that we are his disciples 
by our love shown towards one one another. So how do I know when God is calling me to serve? I'm glad you guys asked. (laughs) Easy answer is usually when you are uncomfortable and out of your comfort zone. But it doesn't have to be that way once your mindset changes. When you believe and when you become aware of everything and everyone around you, you soon realize that missions exist locally, within our state, and all across the world. I think there's something very powerful that that happens when you allow God to take you out of your comfort zone and place you in a situation where you fully have to rely on him. Now I'm going to ask for your participation. If you've been in a situation before like that, like what does, what does it feel like or what are the emotions that you're feeling as you're going through these moments of um, being in a situation where you're uncomfortable? Not everyone all at once. Horrible. Yep. Awkward. Panicking. Desperate. Challenging. Right? Like frustrating maybe. Depressing. Possibly discouraging. But I've slowly begun learning something, and I, I've actually been preaching this to my team in real estate, but I think it applies to us as well in our walk with Christ. And if you guys have a pen or want to write this down, I heard this, and it, I can't remember where I heard it, um, but it's been sticking with me these last couple months, and it says, greatness is built in the chaos. Greatness is built in the chaos. And so when things are chaotic, when things are crazy, God may be trying to do something in that moment when things are uncomfortable. God may be trying to do something with you to create greatness that will soon come out of that trial. So I want to open up with us in Mark, because that's where we've been um, in verses 6 and 7. Verses 7 through 13 in chapter 6. And it says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed with them. You guys see anything being uncomfortable in those verses? I don't know about you, but like the first time I went to the DR, it's a funny story. So Miguel, we're there with like, this is great because this will be great for you parents that ever send your kids there for a, a youth trip too. So there's me and like six other youth leaders, and then we've got like 30 high school kids. We're in the DR. We've never been there before. We're speaking a different language, right? And Miguel's like, all right, guys, so this is literally within the first like 30 minutes that we're there. Miguel introduces himself, says hi, 
And then he's like, hey, we're going to go on a scavenger hunt. And he's like, I want you guys to get in groups of two. And I'm going to give you a list. And you have to go around town trying to find these things on the list. And I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. Like, and you get all these high school kids right that are all excited. But they soon realized, as they started going out there two by twos, they, they get all excited because they get their list. And it's like this competition to come back and, and have all these things. But like, there's things on there like, Go to the grocery store and get bananas. You know, go to wherever and grab this. And all the kids start soon realizing that, like, these people don't speak our language. <laughs> so they get sent out and they go. But the whole purpose of it was to start an interaction with people and get them out of their comfort zone, right? Get these kids out of their comfort zone of being comfortable and get them to be in a place where they're uncomfortable because when you start doing that, God starts to use you. And so I think it's interesting as Jesus sends out the two-by-two here. Like it's a common practice in that day for practical and legal reasons. If you want to write these down, I don't have time to go into some of these, but you can look this up um, more and more. So in Mark 11.1 1 and 14 and 13, You'll see where he does the same thing in John 18, 8, 17. And then if you go back into some of our favorite books of the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 17, 6 and 19, 15, you'll see that two-by-two-like practice there and for practical and legal reasons. A lot of it has to do with um, there being another person there to witness, right? Because if you, don't have, if you just have one person coming and telling a story and saying this happened, um, a lot of times people are like, well, that doesn't really account for evidence or truth because you're the only one that was there that can account for it. And so there was a purpose in having at least two people with you. Jesus gives authority, the right and power over the unclean spirit. And unclean spirit. So in other words, Jesus gives them the same authority he had to cast out demons and heal the sick. I don't know about you guys. But that's uncomfortable. Like, I've been in situations, and specifically down in the DR, uh, where you see some of this stuff happening. Like, I've been in situations, and I've heard also stories of Miguel going into, and his teams going into some of these um, villages, and literally there's been um, these people that have been healed from them going in there and praying over these people, um, there's been people that have been set free from being um, basically a, a demon or whatever you want to call it within them. Um, he, he's told me all of these crazy stories of things that have, have happened. Um, you've heard me say this before. Miguel is probably one of the um, best examples, to, at least to me and in my life, to be able to see Jesus working through someone where they are completely surrendered and just say, Lord, use me for whatever it may be. We're going to see that here in some more scripture, but um, there is no fear in that man. There, there are stories of him going into a village where he goes to this cockfight, which is like they take these chickens, it's big in the DR, and they'll literally like have roosters fight each other until the death. And there was this, there was this uh, I'm getting off on a tangent, so I apologize, but it's a cool story. And there was this... Um, I want to get it right, I think it was a nephew and an uncle, and they're fighting each other, and the, the agreement that they had was, whoever's chicken wins, you get to take that chicken with you home, 
right? So you're literally like, it's kind of like a stab in the heart after your chicken dies. It's like, hey, and by the way, I'm taking your chicken home and I'm going to eat it. Um, and so, you know, this fight ensues and uh, the nephew, uh, his chicken is, is, is winning the fight because they draw this circle. And if your chicken goes outside of the circle, um, that's one strike, and if it happens three times, it's considered a loss because they're basically saying your chicken or your rooster doesn't want to fight. And so he's a weak chicken. And so he loses, right? And so you've got the nephew and you've got this uncle. And you can only imagine what's going on in the nephew's mind, right? Like he wants everything he can do to beat his uncle. And his uncle is like, I can't lose to my nephew because that would be embarrassing. Well, he loses because his chicken goes out of the circle three times. And so this fight ensues. And literally... Miguel's telling the story, and he's like, these, this, these guys, like, separate and fight. It gets heated. They go home. They grab machetes, and they get these guys basically from one side and one side from the other, and they're literally, like, marching towards each other, getting ready to have a machete fight over a chicken fight, okay? Miguel tells a story where he's like, I don't know what got in me. The Holy Spirit, obviously, he goes... These guys are marching, they're getting ready to like cut each other's heads off or stab each other or do whatever with these machetes. He goes, I go and I stand in front of them, in between them, and I draw a line and I say, no! And he's like, they all just look at me. And they're like, here's this white guy with all these Dominicans. And this is like fairly fresh of him like being there. Um, But he's like, go home. And they all went home. And he like shares this story about how God was just in control of that because then what takes place is this community becomes one of the first places that they established a church and uh, started preaching the gospel. But you can see everything that was like taking place there, but Miguel believes in this scripture right here that he has the power to go do some of these things. And I think it's really hard for us sometimes to believe that we share that same power. Like, it's really hard for me when I go into anywhere. But, like, I think it's easy to say that, like, yeah, I believe God can heal that person. I can pray for that person. I, I, I believe that he can do that thing. But do I believe that I actually have the power, the same power that Jesus had to go in and pray over this person and believe that Christ can heal them? I struggle with that sometimes. Because if I'm being honest with you, there's times that I don't. There's times that I don't because either I let a lie or a myth or something come into my head to make me believe that I can't or do that or that I'm not worthy or that whatever the case may be, right? But I think we have to see here the power that took place. He tells them to take nothing with them except a staff. No food, no supplies, no money, no extra clothes, Again, I'm glad you guys asked, why? I think Jesus was trying to prove a point and to show the disciples something here, and I think that was full reliance on him. You literally have nothing. Has anyone else been there before? I've been there before. Where you have to completely trust Jesus to provide for your needs. Remember, greatness is built in the chaos. And I can only imagine the types of conversations these disciples were having as the time went on and when they went from place to place to the next. You guys, where are we going to get food? 
I'm starving. How are we supposed to protect ourselves with nothing but our clothes? We don't have any money. How are we supposed to pay for anything? And so on and so on and so on, right? Sound familiar? I know I say those things all the time. They were to depend on God to provide food and shelter through the hospitality of the Jewish households. So you see what's happening here is Christ is like, you're going to go and you're going to go do these things and you're going to have these conversations and as you do, I'm going to provide through that and you're going to see me work. There's something that happens when we are uncomfortable. It forces us to trust in something. Maybe it's your own abilities. Maybe it's someone else. But I think Jesus was trying to get the disciples ready for what was to come. Remember, Jesus is on mission. He knows what that mission is. He knows that at some point the disciples will no longer have his physical presence with them. So he begins to prepare them for what is to come and to challenge them. So what happens next? I'm glad you guys asked. Whenever, interesting word here. So Christ is already saying that when something happens, do this. He says, when you enter a home and if someone rejects your message, what do you do? So one, I, I like to point out, like, you should expect rejection. You're not going to go into every single house and it's going to be hunky-dory and you're going to get food and you're going to get all these other things. You're going to get some people that reject whatever it is that you're trying to share with them. When you face rejection, what do you do? You take off your sandals and you shake out the dust and move on. So devout Jews did this when they left a Gentile territory to show that they were disassociating themselves from it. It was also a warning to the people that rejected them that the disciples' responsibility to them had been fulfilled and those who rejected the message would answer to God for themselves. That's interesting. So as a salesman, I'm reading this, and I'm like, this is actually kind of funny. Like, so when I go in and when I have a listing appointment, or I go and I talk to these people about selling their house, or talking to them about buying a house, and when they choose not to use me, what should I do? I just take off my sandals, dust them off. <laughs> Move on to the next, right? Like, but it's, it's what I tell my team a lot too. I'm like, you guys are going to get rejected. You guys will not get every deal, right? But it's what your mindset is and your attitude is when you encounter those things. Are you going to mope and sit and pout or are you going to say, okay, that's fine. I was joking with somebody out there earlier this morning and I said, uh, I always get a weird look from people when I'm talking with buyers, and I'm like, well, is there a specific neighborhood that you want to be in? And they're like, well, yeah, we'd love to be in this neighborhood, or they sometimes have a specific house that they're like, that house right there, if we could have that house, that'd be awesome. And I'm like, all right, I'll get back with you. And they're like, well, it's not for sale. And I'm like, it's not for sale yet. <laughs> and you go and you call the seller, and I said, I'm looking for one of two fingers when I call that seller. I'm looking for a thumbs up, or I'm looking for a different finger. And that's okay, at least I know which one it is, right? And which way I need to pursue and which direction I need to go in. I think it's the same thing here of like just taking off your shoes and if it's not the right situation, you dust them off and you move on. It's the same thing I think too here uh, as I'm thinking about the model that is in the DR. 
So I had shared with the, this, this with you earlier. But um, typically how this happens when Miguel and his team get a team together and they go and try to find a different um, village or a different place where they want to, they feel led to go share the gospel, they'll send out teams to pray over the desired area. So a lot of times they will, um, sometimes they'll climb a mountain and they'll overlook the valley and they'll just pray over the valley and they'll just pray that God, we just pray that you would open up doors to go reach these specific communities of people. Um, then they'll send teams and groups into, usually groups of two, to walk the villages and pray over it. So again, they're just walking through the villages and they're just praying. Uh, then a group like us will arrive and join them and walk the villages and pray for opportunities to be led by the Spirit to engage in conversations with the people in that village. Um, sometimes you share the gospel, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you're just getting to know that couple or that family or that individual and you've got somebody with you from the team too um, that's interpreting and that's allowing this conversation to take place and this relationship to be established. And then I shared with you earlier, the majority of the time you're invited in because the Dominicans are very hospitable and they love to serve you coffee and soda. But it's not really coffee. It's like a cup of sugar with like a touch or a dab of coffee. Um, and they, they also bring them out in these like little cups. So you get like these little tiny cups and you're just like sipping on this really hot coffee. Um, or sometimes you get soda. If they don't have coffee, they give you like orange or grape soda. So if you're not into orange or grape soda, you just got to be uncomfortable, right? Be uncomfortable and be like, just get it down quick. But don't do it fast enough because then they'll bring you out more. So if you don't like it, you just, you just learn to like just take small little sips and just work on that, the whole conversation. But this is how the church has started. And then this process continues um, where the gospel can then start to, the seeds can start to be planted for the gospel. Something that I think has been key that I've observed uh, through this and as I've observed through scripture is having a vision while on mission is key. Right? Like it's literally, um, it gives you the action steps to take in order to accomplish the mission. Like Jesus gave his disciples authority and power to send them out, and we have that same authority. So look with me as we close out this verse. What did the disciples do when they obeyed? They preached the gospel, they cast out demons, and they healed the sick. They're not always doing the same thing. So I wrote down, have you ever gone into a plan to do something and it doesn't turn out well? Right, like you get this vision in your mind sometimes, of this is how I'm going to go present it or this is how it's going to go down and then we go into the situation and it's completely different. I think that's the point here is that the disciples preach, they cast out demons and they heal the sick. Sometimes God is going to use you in a situation where you weren't necessarily prepared for it but it's the spirit moving and that's how you know God is moving. But my point is, you need to trust God and watch him work sometimes in those moments. If you talk to someone who literally hit rock bottom and fought for their life to turn things around, you will find that they refer back to a specific time and moment 
right? Something happened. A light bulb moment, if you will, the decision to not give up but to push through the uncomfortable and get through the difficulties in a lot of cases is what helps define who you are. Chances are if you're comfortable, it's not where God or I want you, if I'm being honest. I used to say all the time, and you guys can probably relate to this, I just want to be comfortable. Right? Like if I could just make a little bit more money, I would be comfortable. Or if I could just get this house or this car, I'd be comfortable. Now I say to God, I just want to be used. You see where that mindset kind of changed? Like, I don't care if I'm uncomfortable, I just want to be used. What is it that you are calling me to do today is literally a question that I'm asking God on a daily basis. We all like normal. We like it because it doesn't force us to do anything but just coast in life. I'm a firm believer that Jesus doesn't want us to coast. In fact, I will argue that if you yourself don't, that you yourself don't want to coast in life. Because I think it's boring, right? I think to myself all the time, like, is this all life has to offer? I think of other situations. I talk with tons of wealthy and successful people on a daily basis. And you know what the common thread is with everyone here on this earth and what I've seen? We're always chasing after something. Think about it. Jackie, you can laugh with me at this one because you'll know. But growing up, I just wanted to be popular. I wanted to fit in. Now, that seems really exhausting to me now, right? But in high school, that was the cool thing that, like, you were in pursuit of. You were chasing. Like, I just want to be popular. I just want to be noticed. I just want to be in with that crowd or do that thing. But now to me, to, like, think about that, I'm like, that's just exhausting, like, I see, it, I see it all the time in my industry and at work, and I'm like, when are you going to sell your car? I, why? So you can upgrade to that new, like, Land Rover. Okay, cool. No, I don't care about the Land Rover. I don't care about the big house. I don't care about any of those things. But so many people are chasing after these other things. Guys, I know there's not many in here. But for those of you that are in here, and women, you can relate, remember the chase to get the girl, right? Like, it was fun, or it is fun, right? I don't know how many young guys I got in here. Yeah, huh, huh? Nope, he's like, no. <laughs> but the chase disappeared and something else replaced it in a lot of cases. I'm guilty of that. You can ask my wife if you don't believe me. I'm not proud of this, but she went from being everything I thought of in a 30-minute conversation now in bed before we go to bed because we put our four kids down. It's crazy to think about that. Like, in college, this woman captivated every single thought and entire part of my being forever on this chase, right? Like, I couldn't wait for the text or the phone call to come in or whatever and now all of a sudden it's like, we get to 8.30 at night and we're laying in bed and we're like, oh, how was your day? 
like literally haven't spoken or talked to each other much until that moment. And it's like, now I get 30 minutes before we pass out and go to bed. It's horrible, but I think about like the chase and how that was different, and now that was replaced because I have her now, and then there's this thing of like, okay, well, we got this. Now we move on to the next thing. What are we chasing after? Right? It's this continuous thing. I think there are a lot of missions we can go on in this life, but I don't want you guys to miss the most important mission of all, and that is the pursuit of Jesus. Because with everything I just talked about, eventually leaves us empty and chasing another thing to fill the void in our soul. Write this question down. What am I feeding my soul right now? Is there a void that I'm trying to fill with something in this life that I know won't be filled? What are you on a mission for? Does your family and friends know you love Jesus? Do your coworkers know you love Jesus? Do your neighbors know you love Jesus? I'm not saying to go out the front door and scream at the top of your lungs, hey guys, I love Jesus. Like that's not what I'm saying, although I wouldn't be opposed to it. But my point is, is I think there's a mission that needs to be happening in our everyday lives, locally and in our workplace and in our lives around us, right? I think we are far more comfortable as Christians in this church than uncomfortable. So how do we move from living in comfort to living and doing things that make us uncomfortable? I'm glad you guys asked. Listen, you may hear the Lord tell you to do something that everyone around you would say is crazy. But if it's from the Lord, who cares? Are you living to please God or please others? See, I think there needs to be a shift in our mindset. Are you willing to live each day on mission? Or are you willing to lay down the life to live uncomfortable? What would it take for you guys to do that? If some of you are saying amen and yes to all this, let me ask a question. Then what has stopped you from doing these things? Maybe it's fear of what others may think. Maybe it's fear of rejection. Fear of not knowing what to say or where to find the right answers from the questions that might get asked. But I don't know about you guys, but these last few years, I'm tired of living in a fearful world. If I've learned anything from these past few years, it's that most people have feared death more than anything we have ever seen before, and they will go to extreme measures to try and control their health and time left here on earth. You know why I don't live in fear? Because the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The number one reason you won't go on a mission is because the devil has told you a lie that you believed and have believed for years. You have lived in fear instead of in power, love, and self-control. So I wrote down some things that may disrupt your mission. 
I've already just been talking about it for a while here, is fear, right? Rejection, doubt, lack of confidence, maybe it's a financial burden, failure, lack of effort. I can't, I just see, I didn't even put it up there. A lot of people dream but never get out of bed. Lack of effort, right? There's a lot of people that say the right thing, believe the right thing, but they never get out of bed. They just dream about it. They don't put any action forward. Things I think the Lord wants you to do, trust, believe, be bold, be confident, embrace failure, love, have self-control, and be open. As you look at some of those things, like, I, I don't know what God may be putting on your heart today. And maybe he's just trying to wake you up to be more aware of surroundings and the people in your life that need you right now. But maybe he's calling you to serve or volunteer your time locally or here with the church somewhere. Maybe he's asking you to pray for someone to share the gospel with. Maybe... Here's my plug. He wants you to join me and the DR team and commit to impacting lives outside of the country. Whatever it is, now is the time for action. We know Satan has a mission as well, right? 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, that's a fun word to say, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour And in John 10.10, it says he came to devour you and steal, kill, and destroy you. He has a mission too. So what is your mission? I don't know. I don't know what your specific mission is. But if God's laying something on your heart right now as far as what that mission is or as you marinate on that throughout this week and maybe month, Write it down, put it on the mirror in your bathroom, and stick it in your car so that you can see it every day as a reminder. My mission is simple. This is something that as I was going through all this years ago after my dad had passed, um, and I asked the question, like, what, what is my purpose? What do you want my mission to be? It was pretty simple and clear. It said, go and make Christ known today. That's it. Like, it's, it's fairly simple. But then I asked, like, how am I going to do that? And I heard these three words come back, pray, listen, and act. Pray to be used. Listen to your gut and the Holy Spirit when it's moving, and then act. I want to close here with a video um, that is from The Chosen. And uh, if you haven't seen this series, I would highly recommend doing it. But it's one of my favorite scenes so far uh, from this video. And uh, we'll go ahead and watch this. And then I'll... If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what does. But I love, I wish I could show the whole scene. Because the, the whole scene was Jesus sitting at the well um, with the Samaritan woman. And that's when he first shares who he is with her and she's the first one to hear about it and that's where the public ministry takes place and so you see Peter like so now's the time 
Like, it's about, it's almost like it's about time. Like, I've been waiting for this. And uh, I wrote down, you know, living on mission can be pretty simple once you get a clear definition of what your mission looks like and how you're going to accomplish it. Just like Peter there, like, my prayer is that you would seek Christ and now have a burning desire within you to live a life of purpose and on mission and to share what Christ has done. My prayer is that you would find a life like the woman at the well or get pumped like Peter to go and tell the world about Christ. The crazy thing about Christianity is that we all share the same mission. Love Christ, make him known. And that's the simplest and easy mission ever, but sometimes our mission and our vision gets blurry. Sometimes our vision and mission get interrupted or deterred and they get off track. If that's you today, the good news is there's never a better time to redefine that vision or that mission. Like that person right there. Let's get on mission. That might be calling you for, somebody might be calling you to share that gospel with. Get back on mission and start living a purpose every day. There's no more time, in my opinion, to be lazy. Time is running out. And it's up to all of us to commit to living with mission. I don't know if you guys know this, but our fourth core value is here at RCC is God's mission over our comfort. Are you ready to live on mission even if the journey gets uncomfortable? Only you can make that decision. So our journey as a church begins with the DR. Um, now I'm going to segue out of this, um, and it begins with the DR with an informational meeting on April 3rd at 12.30 after church. Um, if you have any desire or there's anything within you or you felt moved to get more on mission and want to be a part of this mission, uh, this is the meeting that we would love to have you guys at to come join. There will be food, and, um, and we just want to take that time to kind of broaden that perspective of this is what that mission looks like. This is, um, you know, the needs and the wants of what's happening within that community. And, uh, and then here's kind of what we expect to happen on that mission and on that first trip down there. And so the first trip is actually going to take place September 3rd through the 10th. Um, so if you're like, when is that taking place? Um, if you're someone that's like, I can't go on that trip for some reason, I know seven days is a lot, um, we could use prayer for that as far as just preparation. Pray that God would not only prepare us, but I would say more so prepare uh, the people down there as well to just be um, open to what God is going to want to be doing through us as we go down there. Um, so if you could begin to pray for that as well. And then Miguel and his team for um, everything that they're doing there, because I think, I think they're definitely, as I don't know about if you guys know much, but it's, the DR is close to um, and borders with Haiti, and so um, if you've followed anything that takes place down in Haiti, there is a lot of spiritual warfare and a lot of witchcraft and a lot of things like that that take place, and so um, there is this hatred between the two countries. So if a Haitian crosses the border, over into the Dominican or vice versa, um, there is probably going to be a fight of some sort, if not a death. Um, so they literally just 
So we want to pray that God would start breaking those walls down. Um, and Rio Ruba is, is pretty close to um, the Haitian border. And so we're going to start seeing a lot of that stuff kind of carry over. And um, I'm sure we're going to deal with some of those things. So I think just prayer and support for them specifically. And then um, just for us as we get prepared to go on that trip. So um, with that being said, would you guys just mind praying with me? And closing out here, um, Lord, just thank you so much for who you are, and uh, Lord, just uh, the things that you've done in our lives. Lord, specifically for me, I thank you for, Lord, just helping me redefine um, just that, that mission and that vision of what you've uh, laid out before me for me in my life. And um, Lord, I pray the same for everyone in this room, that you would begin to um, mold what that mission and that vision looks like for them and how we can all work together as a church um, to live in that mission together and ultimately make you more known in our communities, Lord, at home, in our families, and um, possibly even around the state and globally, if you will, if that were to be the case. So, Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.